Well, I am so glad to be back with you this morning. I am anxious to tell you what God did for me. So the sermon this morning is much like a testimony because I promised God eight days ago if he would heal me that I would tell that story. And that's what happened. Uh, in, the, in the throes of sickness, I wanted a model to guide my prayers. And I started thinking, when did Jesus ever pray for himself? He prayed for others. He prayed for sickness. He prayed for those who were in sin. He prayed for those who were lost, those who were lonely. But when did Jesus pray for himself? I was, I was having to pray for myself. And it was something I was unfamiliar with because I've never been sick. Last time I was in the hospital, I was a uh, junior in high school having my wisdom teeth out. So I didn't know how to act, and I didn't know how to pray. And I thought about the Garden of Gethsemane, even though it wasn't a, uh, a physical illness Jesus was facing. He prayed for himself because of what he was anticipating, the cross. And I modeled my prayers after what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Stand with me as we read these 11 verses. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go yonder and pray. I mentioned in the 830 service, Jesus was a southerner. He said, yonder <laughs> and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, that was his inner three, Peter, James, and John. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so could you not watch with me just one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, thy will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. And he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Pray with me. Father, let the words of, your, of this scripture, your word, become real in our lives as we realize once more the power of prayer. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, be seated. I believe God is at work in our world, amen? And I believe either you are working for him or you're working against him. And if you're working against him, the bad news is you're going to lose because I know who wins in the end. Um, I have been watching football games for the last two weeks on ESPN and SEC. There's just not a lot else on TV. And uh, I still enjoy watching old games, but guess what? I already know who wins. 
It's still exciting, the anticipation. But I know who's going to win, and I know who wins in the end with the kingdom of God. If you're for him, if you're willing to submit to his holy will, you will win. So if you're in favor of winning and being on God's team, would you please raise your hand? If you're against him, would you raise your hand? And we're all going to pray for you right now. <laughs> I want us in this passage of Scripture to see both the divinity of Jesus and the humanity. Because I believe Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Not 50-50, not 70-30. He is all divine. He is all human. And if you lower that either way, then you undermine who he is and what he did. When I was lying in a hospital bed trying to pray for myself, which at first felt selfish, but then I remembered Jesus prayed for himself, knowing what he was to face. These are the lessons I learned. The first one is you have to be honest in your prayers. Just be honest when you're praying to God. You're not going to fool him. He already knows your deepest, darkest secrets. And if you try to hide anything from him, you're only fooling yourself. He is waiting for you to be honest before he can begin helping you to deal with your own struggles. And until you get to that point of honesty in your prayers, there's little he can do for you. Look what Jesus did. He did not say, you know, God, I know this is no big deal, but, but let's move ahead. No, he said, if there's any other way, God, let this cup pass from me. I cannot do this by myself. I'm going to need some help here, God. I can't do it. If you're angry with God, tell him. If you're bitter about something, tell him. If you're struggling with something, tell him. Let me assure you, he is big enough to handle your anger. He is big enough to handle your frustration, your, your pain. He already knows it, but as a father, he's just waiting for you to admit it to him so he can reach down and begin helping you deal with it. <coughs> this week I thought of, <coughs> excuse me, a, a funny story that I, I heard a long time ago about a, <coughs> a man who was an alcoholic and he came home one night drunk his wife welcomed him at a door. She was a long-suffering wife, and she allowed him in. She brought him in, undressed him, and put him to bed. And as she knelt beside his bed to pray for him that evening, as was her custom, she said, Lord, thank you for bringing my, home, my husband home safely here this evening. You know he lies here drunk. And at that point, her husband kind of roused and opened his eyes and said, don't tell him I'm drunk. Tell him I'm sick. <laughs> Friends, God already knows. He already knows your deepest struggle. Just be honest. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. So you might as well fess up because that's when he can begin to help you. He's big enough to handle whatever struggle you're dealing with. Secondly, be submissive in your prayer. Don't think that by your prayers you're going to overpower God 
and his will for you. It take, it's taken me a long time to realize this, but God, why do you think God doesn't love you? Why, why think that he doesn't have the very best in mind for you? He, he knows what it is. He sees the long run. He knows what he wants to achieve in you and with you and through you. So just say, God, I read this in Henry Blackaby. God, this is what I want, but if you've got something better in mind, I'll take that instead. This is my desire, but if you know something better, that's what I want instead. Jesus began to wrestle with God, asking if there was any other way intensely. Luke said he actually sweat drops of blood in his prayers. Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. I do not want to head to the cross. And for a long time, I thought the cross well, he, he doesn't want to face the pain and agony and suffering and the death that would happen on the cross, but I don't think that was the worst of it. The worst of what Jesus was dreading was having to bear the weight of sin on his shoulders that would, that would take place, that transaction that would occur while he was hanging there. This holy, blameless, sinless Son of God was made to be sin so that we might be made, so that we who are sin might be made into the likeness of God. That's what Jesus dreaded, having to be separated from God for a season when he paid the penalty for our sin and that transaction resulted separating him from him. He, he wanted to shrink back from that. The pain, the agony, the suffering, yes, they were real because he was 100% human, but the real dread of the cross was the sin. God, there has to be another way. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was honest and he submitted. And third, I want you to see how persistently he prayed. Verse 40, watch and pray with me one hour. Verse 42, a second time he went away and prayed. Verse 44, leaving them a third time, he went away and prayed the same words. First, second, third, over and over, he kept praying. Now, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount cautioned against vain repetition in prayer, just saying the same things over and over again without putting your heart behind it. But, but when you are intensely praying, when the Spirit is interceding with you, and you can pray the same thing. It's not tiresome for God to hear it. God doesn't always move immediately when we ask him to do something. But Jesus was praying. The message went from his head down to his heart. And he was just being honest and expressing his heartfelt desire to God. Because we have to realize when we pray, we want God to change our circumstances. We want God to change our surroundings. But the truth is, God is much more interested in changing us than he is in changing our circumstances. God is much more interested in forging our character than he is changing our surroundings. God is doing a work in us when we pray. And that's what happens. That's, that's what transpires. 
The most difficult prayers don't get answered in, in 15 minutes. They take time. And when you honestly and persistently pray, you allow God to change you to bring you in line with His perfect plans, His perfect will for your life. That's what God is doing. And that's what I realized the last two and a half weeks. So now let me take this passage of Scripture and relate it in my own life. And I realize I, I'm reluctant at times. Sometimes preachers talk too much about themselves and their own families and it can become tiresome. But I promised God that if he would heal me, I would never cease telling what he did. And so this is my story. Two and a half weeks ago, Wednesday, I had routine outpatient surgery for acid reflux and it went very well. Been waiting for a, a laparoscopic procedure to, to repair acid reflux. I had a, a large hiatal hernia um, and that went well. It took a little bit longer than expected, but went home Wednesday night doing well. Thursday, Friday doing well. Saturday, ate a little solid food. Sunday morning, a little of my favorite Sunday dinner, roast beef. Sunday evening began feeling a little, a little nauseous. Monday morning, it got worse. Monday afternoon, I did something I've never done before. I texted Susan. She was at work. I said, can you come home? So she left what she was doing at ABAC, and she came home. And from about 5 p.m. till midnight, I got sicker and sicker. What was happening was my stomach was shutting down, basically. Um, the doctor didn't really understand what had happened. Yes, he actually called the company that, that made this device and they said in 9,000 procedures, this has never happened before. So there, I told you I'm special. <laughs> and now you know how special. Uh, so 5 p.m. till midnight, I finally, like I said, I hadn't been in the hospital. I said, Susan, we got to go to the ER. So we went to Tift Regional. They ended up admitting me, giving me some medicine, watching me, communicating with my doctor who's in Albany, my surgeon. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, no real change. Thursday, no better. My doctor wanted to see me in Albany. I had gotten good care at Tift Regional, but that's not where my doctor was. So we dismissed. Susan drove me to Phoebe. And as soon as I got to Phoebe Thursday afternoon, they put an NG tube down my nose into my stomach. Do you know what that is? I hope you never find out personally. It is an instrument of torture that has been disallowed by the Geneva Convention. <laughs> if you're ever captured by Russia and um, they think you're a spy and they want to know all the secrets or they put an NG tube down, you tell them everything you know <laughs> on the spot. They put that tube down about 7 p.m. Thursday night and it, began to, it, it, it vacuums out your stomach, it's a suction, it relieves the pressure. And his hope was that by relieving the pressure that my stomach would begin to wake up and begin functioning on its own. Friday morning he came in. He decided to risk it. He pulled the tube out. I thank the Lord for that. I ate a little breakfast, ate a little lunch. My stomach started swelling again. It wasn't, it wasn't well yet. He said, we're going to take a leap of faith here. He's a Christian. He and his wife were praying for me. 
We're going to let you go home and pray that your stomach wakes up. All he could figure out was that in repairing everything that he had to do, the vagus nerve was bruised. I don't know, the vagus nerve runs alongside your esophagus and it controls your stomach. And when mine was bruised, it just turned off. So Susan and I are dismissed from Phoebe. We're coming home Friday afternoon. My stomach is beginning to swell and we're both scared. I mean, I did not want to have to go through that again. And I have never been afraid of my health physically, ever. I've always taken good health for granted. So we get home Friday night. We're looking at each other. Neither one of us wants to admit what we know the truth is, that it's not working, that my stomach is not, is not recovered. And we go to bed. And I get up about 10 p.m. Friday night, and I go into the den, and I start praying. And I say, God, you're going to have to heal me because man has done what he can, medicine has done what it can, and it is not working, and they don't even know why not. And if you don't touch me, and if you don't heal me, then I'm not going to be able to preach Sunday. <laughs> so there. And I don't know what else to do. I'm begging you, I'm turning to you, I'm throwing myself at your mercy. Please, help me. Touch me. Heal me. And I went to bed Friday night, and at 3 a.m. Saturday morning, God began to answer my prayer. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, I know that he healed me. And between 3 and 3.30 a.m. Saturday morning, my stomach began to wake up. And Susan said, Are you, is it improving? I said, yes, God has touched me, and God is healing me. And it's a result of the prayer. Now, some of you cynics might be sitting out there saying, yes, well, you had the NG tube down, you're taking the medicine, yet it had enough time, it's just a coincidence. Well, I believe that when people pray, coincidences happen. Amen? And this was happening to me, and it was not a coincidence because I believe that God was the source of it. God was the one who was orchestrating it. He was the one doing it. And from Saturday morning on, I have regain my strength steadily. Each day a little bit more, each day a little bit more eating, first of all, liquid foods, and then semi, you know, um, soft diet, and then a little bit more solid, a little bit, but my stomach is responding, and I am, I've lost 15 pounds, by the way. I would not recommend it as a weight loss program, but it's beginning to wake up, and I give God all the praise and all the glory because only he is the one who could do when man was at the end of his capabilities, when medicine had done all it could do, then God had room to step in and get the glory. And I would not rob him of that in any form or fashion today. And so I stand before you as a testimony to the power of prayer. And I, you know, I realize people pray and, and they say, well, he didn't do that for me. And I cannot explain why 
one person prays and this happens this way and another one prays and it doesn't happen the way they want it to, other than to say that God's plans are bigger than ours. And I'm here to testify that we have a good and loving Father. And if your son asks for a fish, will he give him, if he asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? No. And if your earthly father knows how to give good gifts to those who love him, how much more so will your heavenly father who loves us perfectly, who loves us far above and beyond, even our earthly father loves us, as hard as that is for us to believe. And so I stand before you as a testimony to the power of prayer. And I don't know where you are in your life, but if you need people to pray for you, this is a praying church. We had four people praying at the 830 service. We have six people praying now in the conference room. And and they are prayer warriors right now praying for you. And if 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 your faith is flagging and you need help, we will pray for you. We will intervene and intercede for you. Because sometimes your prayers just need help. Just need a boost. And you have prayed for me. My family has prayed for me. I prayed for myself. And God hears prayer. And he answers it. And I just wanted you to know that I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt, more so now than ever, because I've never been sick. But now having come from the hospital and knowing that God did what man could not do, I believe in the power of prayer. Paul says in Philippians, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. That's the kind of power God has, friends. The Greek word for power there is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. That's the kind of power we're talking about, explosive, dynamite-like power that can come into your life and transform what's bad into what's good. He is a loving father, and he desires the very best for us all. Amen? I testify to you and stand before you as a walking example of the power of prayer in the world today. Will you bow with me? Father, even Jesus prayed for himself. So praying for ourselves is not selfish. And not just praying for ourselves spiritually that we might be strong, it's also praying for ourselves physically, that we might be healthy, that we might be well, that we might be able to serve and give every ounce of strength that you have entrusted to us back to you for your kingdom's work. You have chosen to use us to work through us, and we fail so often mentally, spiritually, and physically. But you are always there to lift us up. And when we pray and don't understand the results, give us faith. Give us courage. Give us hope for the living of these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.